You are now listening to the Add 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast. Wait, the answer was add 10 gallons? Add 10 gallons. My first thought was we got to put active children. Yeah, great. <laughs> Trucks on the, on the way. On the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. I've got two observations, uh, neither of which are really educated or well thought out. <laughs> <laughs> Which are like most of my observations are. There aren't a lot of problems on a job site that can't be solved with a sack full of biscuits. Today's episode of the Add 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast is brought to you by Actigel 208. Actigel 208 is a high-performance additive for the concrete industry that is greatly beneficial to the producer. It enables them to increase the percentage of manufactured sand by up to 100% and completely replace all the natural sand in the mix. In areas where natural sand is scarce, inconsistent, and expensive, this provides a huge benefit to any ready-mix company out there. Benefits of manufactured sand and concrete include consistent air content, improved compaction, and increased density. Now in the past, the downside of using manufactured sands was that they were hard to pump, hard to place, and hard to finish. Well, Actigel 208 solves all those issues. By improving suspension, stability, and the quality of the cement paste in the mix, Actigel overcomes the old issues with manufactured sand and leaves them behind. Let Actigel 208 improve the quality of your mix while saving money on every yard you produce. For more information, visit us at actigel.com. That's A-C-T-I-G-E-L.com. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to the Add 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast. We're back again after a, a small hiatus. We've been busy. But that's good. And I'm joined here with the boys, Paul and Joey. Paul. Man, it's going great. Glad to be back. This is uh, one of the highlights of this job is doing this podcast. So good to be here. Good to hear it. Good to hear it. That, that gave him goosebumps a little bit. I'm the highlight of his day. <laughs> <laughs> Joey, what's up, brother? Everything's good, man. Good to be back, like Paul said. Uh, but the hiatus was for a good reason. So everything's good. For sure. We have been busy doing concrete things, but a lot has gone on in the world since we last left these people. Uh, we got people invading the Middle East, and we got a Delta variant, and we got all kinds of stuff. But fortunately for you guys and us, this is a concrete podcast where we talk about concrete stuff. So <laughs> let's talk about concrete stuff while the world's crumbling around us. <laughs> I was about to say, we are not talking about cobble on this on this podcast. <laughs> no, we're, we're going to keep it to concrete for sure. For sure. I tell you, what, speaking, of, speaking of concrete and cool things that are happening in concrete, obviously we work for Active Minerals and the Actigel 2-Away product is a, our primary um, and what we do on a regular basis. But I've been given a couple sample requests recently to 3D concrete printing projects. Most of the time it's through universities or and sometimes it's through research groups, but most of the times it's through universities. So after a couple here recently, which is, you know, Usually there are a few here and there, but I've had a couple recently. So I did some research online, you know, thinking, where's this going? Where's, where's all this culminating to? Is this going to be a huge application we're going to see coming up here shortly? And it might be. But all the stuff that I was looking at and what they're messing with with 3D printing is relatively small volume and small projects. But with that being said, they're super cool. Now, I'm going to highlight one application, and this was in Zurich. So, you know, it's not right in our backyard, but it's 3D printing nonetheless. What they're doing over there is 3D printing blocks. But the cool thing about these blocks are that they're not applied horizontally in like the usual way where you have horizontal blocks and grout in between and stuff like that. They're actually printing them in different shapes where they're put together in a very specific way. Orthogonal. Oh gosh! Is the message? There's your word. Is the method in in how you put these things together, but it distributes the flow of compressive forces down to the foundation, and the foundation of this bridge that they were building is tied together. It's a footbridge, so it's not it's not taking care of uh, vehicle traffic or anything like that. But it's a footbridge in a park, and it's pretty substantial as far as total length and everything like that. And it's got four points of entry, and it kind of meets in the middle. It's it's really intricate and cool. But these blocks are put together without mortar and you can take them apart and reconfigure them in a couple different ways in case you'd want to reconfigure the bridge or even take it down and put it up somewhere else but all of these blocks are 3d printed Um, so that's really cool and they're not solid myself i do some hobby 3d printing and the inside of whatever you're printing that is referred to as infill 
and that infill can be anywhere from 2% to 99% or 100%, but uh, there's a couple of different settings for infill. It can be like a honeycomb pattern or a rectilinear pattern or something like that, but that's the way they print these blocks as well. They're not solid all the way through, but you also don't make them in a form like you would have a CMU. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, and you can put these things together without mortar, like I said, and you can disassemble and assemble and just thought that was pretty cool for, you know, the residential market or in this particular case, they're putting this bridge up in a park, but Maybe someday, once this technology kind of grows legs and gets some more money thrown at it, maybe that can kind of curtail into an, an actual industrial application. Yeah, and I, I know it, that footbridge you're talking about, um, I saw that a couple weeks ago, and then we had somebody tag us on LinkedIn on the same footbridge, so it's kind of neat. But the way all the blocks, all the blocks stacked together, there's no rebar. Mm-hmm. And I remember growing up, I had like little puzzle pieces where you would make things like a bridge or an arch, and the pieces just fit together perfectly at these angles so that the structure supported itself. And that's what this is doing. Right. So it's cool to see that go from you know your living room playing with Legos to somebody building this architectural bridge in the middle of Zurich. Right. Right. Very cool. It's uh, it's pretty funny. You know, Josh, you sent us that article earlier. Uh, and then while I was eating lunch, I was just fumbling around on Facebook and I'm part of, you know, all these hunting groups or whatever. And this one group is actually based in Florida. 3D concrete printing article, you know, popped up. Somebody shared it to this Florida group. And it's, it's funny to see how different the response is, you know, like Paul said on LinkedIn versus the, the Florida hunters page, the Florida hunters page hated it because (laughs) They hate all these people moving to Florida and the fact that they're able to speedy, you know, speedy build these houses to let more people move in. Oh, it just drove them crazy. They absolutely hated that idea. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. So you're talking about the sample requests for the universities and stuff. Uh, I did one as well very recently, but the lady wanted to buy the Actigel for a project. They're actually a Florida-based company. And the project they're doing is in New Orleans for this uh, 3D printed concrete structure. But like you said, the project is small. So it it would have cost her a bajillion dollars to buy Actigel by the teacup. Yeah, <laughs> <So> <laughs> it costs more to ship it. <laughs> what she wanted was so minute that I was like, look, you've never used it before. You're just reading a recipe. This is where it gets interesting. She was reading a recipe, and the recipe called for Actigel. I was like, well, you've never used it before. Let me give you a small amount. It's actually going to end up being enough to do her job. She paid more in postage than she probably would for the sax gel. The most interesting part was where she got her recipe. So that bridge you sent us, the materials were from Wholesome. Mm -hmm. As we all know, Lafarge Wholesome. Right. And the design this lady got with Actigel in it, was from Lafarge Wholesome. Right. So I wouldn't be surprised if Actigel was in that footbridge in uh, Zurich. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Probably that's is. We're going to cool. say it is. <laughs> We're going to say it is. We'll put that on our brochures with an asterisk by it. <laughs> have, uh, have we ever figured... Have we ever figured out like how much concrete is in one of these houses? Like I know, you know, it depends on how many rooms and whatnot, but I'm talking like, I don't know, maybe like a 2,000 square foot house with a couple bedrooms and a bathroom or two or something like that. They're not building them that big. Okay. These houses that are being 3D concrete printed are like 500 square feet. They are, I mean, oh. really small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Real small wow. houses. Because they're, most of them are either emergency houses or they're being built in places that are super low income right now. So I'm not sure exactly what they're doing in Florida. I haven't okay. seen what you're talking about. But mm-hmm. right now, to date, all the ones I've seen are emergency shelters yeah. or like mm. super impoverished areas, usually not even in the United States. Right, so, yeah. So, so, yeah, I'd have to see exactly what you're talking about, but they're usually really, really small. Yeah, if I find it, I'll dig around for it later if I think about it, and I'll try to send it to you guys. Well, and, and switching gears from building stuff really, really small to the giant biggest builder we have in this country. Paul, you have a really cool article going to the opposite end of the spectrum. Tell us about who's building everything large. Yeah, there's not going to be any surprise to anybody when I tell you that Amazon is building everything large. We have been working a lot uh, on these warehouse jobs, Uh, not 
necessarily Amazon or just Amazon, but other people too. And so I was curious. I was like, how many warehouses are there that are going up every year? So the answer, by the way, is about a thousand. About a thousand warehouses. Mm -hmm. Thousand warehouses, maybe even 1,100 are going to be built here in the United States. What the average size of one of those is, well, this tracking group isn't even tracking things below 30,000 square feet. So everything's above that. So what is the average? The average is actually around 220,000 square feet for one of these warehouses that are being built. Mm. So then you go look at what's Amazon doing. (laughs) 1.5 million? (laughs) Yeah, right. Per. (laughs) Per. Per. And so I was like, well, man, these guys are, uh, you got guys like Home Depot who have a $1.2 billion warehouse building initiative. Like, man, like, these are massive. All these things are absolutely humongous. So what are the biggest ones? And that's what you'll see if you follow our link. You'll see the top 10 warehouse projects that are going on in the United States right now. Out of that top 10, nine belong to Amazon. The other one belongs to Tesla. Tesla. I would have guessed Walmart. I would have guessed Walmart. (laughs) I would also have guessed Walmart. (laughs) Uh, But Tesla, number one, king spot, 4 million square feet. For one uh, warehouse over at their like gigafactory or whatever it is they're building. Okay. Amazon's probably going to end up building one of those warehouses over here in White Bluff is because of the amount of stuff my wife orders from them. She's going <laughs> to <laughs> on a first name basis with the delivery driver. Oh yeah, they send <laughs> our pictures on a milk carton if we don't order something for at least a week around here. You're going to start getting Christmas cards from the Amazon delivery guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's Jeff. You know what? (laughs) He was so nice to leave the air fryer underneath the awning this time so it didn't get rained on. (laughs) Mm That's the way it is. Yeah, there's something to be said for that that convenience, man. If you need something, you hop on your phone, and I'm guilty of it too. And as much as I like to support the brick-and-mortar businesses, and I do from time to time, you cannot beat the convenience. Well, did you see the Amazon ad that was, like, running on TV recently where – like the Amazon delivery driver rolls up to the house and opens up your garage door, yes. places your package in the garage, and then shuts your garage door. You can miss me with all of that. Are you doing that, Joey? Is that on? Is that on your radar? Well, one, we don't have a garage, and two, no, we would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> me neither. There's no way, no way, I'm letting you open my garage and just have access to my house. Or even worse, what if somebody else in the area is like just following the Amazon delivery driver, waiting for them to stop at a nice house, see the garage door so they can ambush and run in and do whatever. I don't know, man. It seems like a recipe for disaster. When you're talking about convenience, you know, for me, Amazon is the way to go because I live 30 minutes from the nearest, you know, I live 20 minutes from a dollar store and 30 minutes from a decent either kind of department store or some kind of bigger chain store or something like that. So if I need to go get something, it's an hour out of my day just driving. Because I live out in the middle of nowhere. But Amazon can have it delivered to my house the next day, and I got to leave my house. Yeah, no, you're right about that. I mean, I live in the middle of a city, and I still use it for, for different <laughs> reasons. But the, the convenience reasons are different, but it's all the same. It's how much is your time worth, right? Do you really want to stop by that grocery store on the way home? Probably not. I don't have an Amazon account. Really? Yep. I refuse. For what reasons? Out of principle. Okay. That uh, I followed the Dave Ramsey program for so long that not buying things is like ingrained into me. Okay. And so I was like, nope, not going to do it. Not going to tempt myself with the ability to purchase things. So you know what I end up doing? Asking other people with Amazon accounts to order stuff. For me. <laughs> so, your, so your principle is don't buy it unless you can pay cash or resist temptation to buy stuff you don't need? Oh, the principle is definitely don't buy things unless okay. you have cash to buy it. But the the side of it that allows me to control myself when I'm sticking to the budget is that I don't have an app on my phone that allows me with one click to just go in and get anything I want. I have there, There's other barriers to that that I have to cross. Like, how bad do I really want that? Well, I have to get up and go get it. Or I have to ask somebody, hey, will you please go get that? So there's at least other barriers in place. Are they strong barriers? Not really, but it makes me think, makes me pause, and I end up spending less because of it. Okay, all right. I can't hate on that, man. Yeah. Financial responsibility isn't something that's necessarily practiced by the majority of the population. (laughs) Dude, you have no idea how hard it was for me. So so for the people watching, uh, I just bought a truck, a new truck, 
And dang, nice truck. <laughs> thank, thank you. And I move at the speed of cash. So it took me a long time to not only one have enough money to buy it, but then number two, make the dang purchase. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. You get that much money in a bank account, and you start thinking about all the other stuff you can buy with it. Well, yeah. thankfully though, the, the program that I followed, I met every category. I was doing all the right things. Everything's in place. And if I had the cash, then I had the ability to do it. Uh, but I was glad to do it because some of these job sites we were on, you know, I just needed a tougher vehicle, I feel like. So mm-hmm. we stepped up. Yeah. I got a white truck now, so that gives me access to every job site in America. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it really was. I rode in Joey's new truck. I was like, God dang, <laughs> like, what am I doing? I'm a peasant. I need yeah. to go out here and get me a new truck. Joey rolled up on a, in a new white four-door pickup truck, and all of a sudden you see guys grabbing shovels. <laughs> <laughs> the supervisor's up in here. <laughs> oh, that thing's too clean. Watch out. Yeah. 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 But yeah, moving on, I mean, we definitely have – we definitely have a great show for you guys here today. We have Laura Hutt on, and it's not very often that a podcast gets to interview another podcaster, but that's what we're doing today. We're going to see how Laura does on the other side of the microphone, but she's going to talk to us about Women in Steel Toes, and that is a podcast that you can get wherever you get your podcasts or visit them online at womeninsteeltoes.com. Um, and she's going to talk to us about what her podcast does, the goals of her podcast, the type of guests that they have, how the podcast got started, and uh, kind of her origin story of how she got into the industry as well. So uh, it'll be a good one, and uh, y'all sit back and enjoy Laura Hutt on this episode, episode 21 of the Add 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast. All right, for this episode of the podcast, we welcome in Laura Hutt with the Women in Steel Toes podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts, and we're going to talk to her about that, uh, women in the concrete industry, how she got started, and how other people can get started as well. Laura, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited too. It's not every day we get to interview other podcasters. How does it feel being on the other side of the microphone? It's kind of nice. I feel less stressed over here. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot there's a lot less work to be done isn't there yeah i just get to sit here and talk it's great awesome awesome is this the first time uh being on another podcast talking about your podcast or have you done this before um it's my first time talking about my podcast but i've been on a few other podcasts prior to okay. this awesome to start off for our audience tell us a little bit about yourself um who you are where you're from and and how you got into this wonderful industry of ours Yeah, so my name is Laura. I'm from Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. I got into construction kind of by a fluke. I had no idea what I wanted to do coming out of high school, and I ended up taking a civil engineering course and ended up doing a co-op for a contractor and just kind of fell in love from there. So now I'm a site superintendent for a larger construction company here in Canada. Um, And now I just built a lot of Civil, uh, not a civil infrastructure, but a lot of industrial infrastructure, a lot of airports, hospitals, things like that. Um, so yeah, I kind of fell in love with that. And from there, I kind of boomed women in steel toes. Well, it seems like you're gaining a lot of experience on a lot of different types of job sites and things like that. But the origin of women in steel toes, what was, what was, how was that conceived? Um, how did that come about and how has it grown since its inception? Yeah, um, it actually came from a bad experience. So when I first started in construction, I worked on a framing crew, so I framed houses. And it just wasn't well set up. It was honestly a one-off experience, but I just had a really bad sexual harassment issue. Um, And from that, in construction, like there's not a lot of women out there, even still today. Um, But back then, I was the only woman on, like, there's a huge development site, only woman there, nobody to talk to. I just thought, you know what, I had to toughen up be one of the guys, I'm going to be here, you know, I have to show that attitude. So I went back out there, and then as soon as I went on to my next job, um, which was a bit more of a management role, I took and I stepped back, and I'm like, that was so not okay. Um, and figuring that out and trying, figuring that out on my own was a little bit of a process, but I didn't want anybody else to have that experience. I wanted people to know, you know, oh, you can go talk to someone or, you know, there's a, there's a whole network of people out there. There's so many women in construction or other people that you can reach out to. So I really wanted to build that network. And then from there, I really wanted to show people what the trades were about, you know, how fun it can be and how challenging and how much knowledge it actually takes into, you know, go be an electrician or go be a plumber. Um, and I really wanted to show people that it's more than just showing up and building a house. 
and all thoughts and logic that go into it. Did you have any mentors in the industry when you first started out, or were there any mentors that kind of got you going in the industry? Um, no, not when I first started out, but definitely as I've grown, I've found some, uh, which has been really helpful, and that's kind of what spurred the whole platform. Well, that's, that's a great question. It kind of leads me into something I was going to ask uh, anyway. Is is there a community of, of people like you, kind of like a... a sorority as it were of people that work in the industry and you kind of float ideas and stories back and forth um, because I know Paul Joe and I we talk shop all the time and we have friends in the industry and um, you know we'll get together and as much as we don't want to talk about work we end up talking about concrete um, it, it, or is it similar with you as well with other women in the industry yeah it's definitely growing um, it's definitely begun to network a lot more but it's still it's still there my end goal is to get kind of a non-profit going um, and help promote more women or just promote people in general and getting into the trades. Awesome. And, and Women in Steel Toes, was, that was kind of the first step into that being your end goal as, as the non-profit? Or is that kind of something that spurred up and maybe then your attention moved towards the non-profit idea? What came first, the, the podcast or the, or the goal? Um, social media platform, actually just Instagram came first and okay. meeting women that way. And then the podcast came through that. And then through that kind of spurred an idea of doing a nonprofit to help people learn about construction. One of the interesting things about our careers is that we went to the concrete industry management program at Middle Tennessee State. And that's headed or was headed uh, by Dr. Heather Brown from its inception to just very recently when she decided uh, to move on and all positive reasons to move on into her next career. Um, and she has done a very similar thing where she had a message to say, hey, the trades, construction, it's only men only because they're the ones that are thinking about it. That if women took a look and, and reframed and said, hey, this is actually a rewarding career, uh, for lots of reasons, whether you're an electrician or a project manager. And so she has brought so many women into this business. And I'd love to connect you guys afterwards. I think she'd be a great recess for you uh, if you're not already using her as a resource. That would be amazing. Um, I'd love to make that connection. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. Because with your future goals as a nonprofit, I think she'd be a great person for you to reach out to and and help push you forward in that really yeah yeah that's a great connection to be had um speaking of connections um you know with with the podcast the women in steel toes podcast i'm sure you've had a number of guests come through your show what are some really good connections you've made through the podcast and, and maybe some of your favorite topics to, that you've talked about so far right now it's pretty local to focusing on ontario and our trade process so how, you know, if you want to start being an electrician, how do you do that? Where do you start? Um, and then also talking to women at different stages in their career and how they came over. Um, so most people I talk to are actually, you know, this is their second or third career that they've come into and they did it to make ends meet, um, which is really interesting. And then another lady I've talked to is, you know, she started at 17 working for her dad and then coming through. So it's been interesting to see how everybody's kind of had that process and really just telling the story of how people grew into the industry and humanize it and market it to more women. Awesome. Well, I mean, yeah, we've, we've certainly noticed the shift to, to a little bit higher percentage of women in the industry as well. But, you know, speaking from a champion of women in the industry there, what would you say are the most positive aspects of that increasing percentage of women in that industry itself? What are, what are some of the positives that are coming from that change? Right now, it's a big, I don't know, I'm sure you guys are feeling it too, but it's, there's a labor shortage. Um, so having more women in there, it's been, when it's been good for our community and it's been good for bringing more people in, in general, you know, I'm a big believer in to simplify it, monkey see, monkey do. You see somebody out there that looks like you doing something, you know, it's more of an, I can do that too. Um, so getting more people out there and making them more visual, the more you see, the more you're going to grow. That's a great point. That's great. I didn't even think about that. We definitely need more more bodies on the job site for sure, and that's in every industry. But our, ours isn't uh, isn't exempt from that. Say your um, one of your guests is maybe 
looking into getting into the construction industry or they're new to the industry, what are some top pieces of advice you might could give somebody in that position? Um, do, do figure out what you like. <laughs> there's so many <laughs> options and there's honestly so many great programs where you can even go in and try out a few different trades at first. Um, you know, figure out whether you want to be the trades or do you want to be in a more management role? Um, kind of think about what you like to do. Do you like to work with your hands? Do you like to organize things? Do you like structure schedule? Um, how does that work together? And then look at all the grants that you can get. There are so many opportunities to go through all of this training for free. Um, and there's even, you know, if you're a single mom going through it, there's grants to help you pay for that transition time where you're not getting paid a lot of money or not getting paid at all while you're going to school. Um, and just kind of see see what's out there because there's so many options and there's so many connections that I've been able to make as well where I can help guide people depending on where they want to go. There's no there's no training for supervising all these roughnecks out there. Oh no. <laughs> How in the world are you getting away with that? Patience. <laughs> she says with pain in her eyes patience <laughs> perfect job for a single mom nobody has more patience that's, than a single yeah. mom it's true yeah. so much truth it's just like babysitting kids it's fine yeah the <laughs> construction guys are like they're like toddlers just running around hey qu- don't put that in your mouth you know <laughs> <laughs> oh, but they're they're so smart too and there's so much you can learn by being out there and like figuring it out with them and working together with them. It's mm-hmm. it's a whole other world than they in this industry. Yeah, we talk about it all the time about how much field experience differs from, you know, school experience. When we went through the CIM program, there's a lot of classroom, a little bit of lab, and uh, and then we did our internship. And we learned a lot on our internship, but it wasn't until we just dove headfirst into the industry where we really started to learn things and, and not discrediting CIM or anything that we learned there. But the difference is you can't imagine it until you experience it. There, you learn something literally every day when you're in the field. Yeah, you can you can go out there and memorize the drawings back and forth and you go in the field to build it and it's just not going to work exactly the way it's drawn. It happens mm. every time. Yeah. When uh, when you have your guests on the podcast or even when you're just talking to other women in the industry, what are some of your favorite topics to discuss? Um, a big one that comes up all the time is bathrooms. Believe <laughs> it or not, it's about, you know, like, have you ever had a site with like an actual bathroom or like something that works? And then just even how you got started, because I find there's so many women that come from so many different backgrounds. Most people that I've met through the trades have started as, like I said, a second career. Um, so figuring, you know, some people are from finance or how they get into construction, you know, what led them there, what sparked their interest is really, really an interesting one to talk about because I find that's where you find their passion and figure out what really made them get into this role. You don't have to give any names or, or go into detail, but I'm curious, what is probably the most radical transformation that you've come across as far as uh, previous profession to being in the industry. Are we are we talking about like a, a corporate lawyer? Are we talking about a professor? Are we talking about someone that you know, used to run a company? What's, what's the most radical transformation that you've come across? Uh, this lady, she had like a really, she had a really cool marketing job. She's telling me about it. She's amazing. Um, She's pretty high up in the company doing really well, and she just decided that it wasn't for her anymore, and she switched out and became an electrician. Wow. That's a pretty smart person there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did she have to go be an apprentice? Yeah, yeah. So she did. Uh, her, her main reasoning was she had, she had a kid, she had a young kid. She was driving, you know, two, almost two and a half hours every day just to get to work, and they wouldn't accommodate any at-home work. Um, wow. So she's like, no, we're going to... We're going to find something else. And she's like, what What pays a lot? And what can I get into without really going back and doing a lot of schooling? So she went into that's that and she um, she's in love with it. So it's great. Yeah, that's good for excellent. her. That's awesome. Are there any opportunities since you kind of founded Women in Steel Toes? Are there any opportunities that were created by Women in Steel Toes? Like either, either through social media or through the podcast? Um, personal opportunities have been quite a bit because I've, I've been able to speak to schools. So I, and that's something that I really wanted to do too is get into that high school level, the elementary school level and get in there to show kids how to work with their hands. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I've had the opportunity to work with that. Before COVID, I was expect to speak at a couple conferences, which would have been really cool too. But unfortunately, everything kind of got canned whenever that happened and things slowed down. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we're still building. Um, and again, just finding interest to create that nonprofit. We're, we're working hard towards that now. When you're going to these schools, you said there were kids. Are they... You, Elementary school, middle school, high school, are you are you speaking at all of these? Mainly high school right now because everything mm-hmm. is done through, we have a program in Ontario called the Ontario Youth Apprenticeship Program. Mm-hmm. So it aims towards taking high school credits and you actually go work directly in the trades so it can go directly towards your apprenticeship. Um, so it's really speaking to kids in those programs and talking about the different avenues of trades that I've worked out, what my job is and what I do on a day-to-day. And mm-hmm where my passion lies. Do you kind of see those, those or the reception for, you know, women in the industry? Do you see that growing even at the high school level Are more and more girls wanting to get in the construction than maybe there used to be? There's definitely been a growth of women coming into construction and it's, it's been fantastic to see and people getting excited about it too, which is nice. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Here in the States, we have vocational high schools where the curriculum is pretty much split between regular classroom stuff where you learn math, history, um, science, and all that stuff. But then the other half of the curriculum is whatever uh, skilled position that you choose, whether it be welding, diesel mechanic, electrician, so on and so forth. It kind of combines that apprenticeship program with a typical high school education. Are there things up, uh, up north of the border around you that is similar to that do you have vocational programs in high school so i can run up experience from my high school we had is we're pretty rural high school middle of nowhere but we had a lot of shop classes um so you had the opportunity anybody can go in and take them you take woodworking automotive classes welding classes um, and just add them into your curriculum and then again they had the oeap program so it's basically taking you know, a four-semester co-op, or sorry, a four-course co-op, so you're taking your whole semester and going and working for someone, and then you're still getting, you know, your English, your math, and everything else, but then there are also the options to take more academic classes as well, depending on where they wanted to sit. Hmm. You so know not- what, that's kind of how, that's kind of how the public school education used to be here in the States, and they kind of went away from the shop courses and things mm-hmm. of that nature in, in a lot of different areas, and the vocational schools kind of got, uh, or definitely got more popular and, and more state funding than they had in the past. That's interesting. Yeah, I wish we still had more of that, Josh, like you said. That used to be a big thing, and Laura, you said you grew up, you know, in a rural area with a rural high school. That's exactly what we did, you know, or where I grew up. We had shop, we had ag class, uh, woodworking, all kinds of stuff offered to us at that age for whatever we wanted to do besides, you know, classroom stuff and getting more and more away from that. And I don't know if it's because they're just pushing college so hard these days or what the deal is. But in my opinion, we've talked about it on this podcast a lot, that the demand for blue collar, you know, people that work with your hands, that demand is increase is increasing every day um but the supply is dwindling skilled labor is is at its highest demand probably right now with the labor shortage uh but the supply just isn't there you know and laura hit on that earlier said there's 50 percent of the population isn't even looking at these construction jobs right and they should be because mentally they're obviously qualified and sometimes physically they're also qualified and so they need to go and understand what jobs can they be really good at. And you don't know if nobody tells you. Like if nobody's exposed you to these things, then you won't know that, hey, I could be a great project manager. I could be a great project supervisor. You know, maybe I'm not going to be on an oil rig, but I can't be on an oil rig either. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so it's not strictly gender roles. It's about knowing what you're good at. And Laura, that's what you're out there trying to spread that word, right? Exactly. And that's the thing too. And even to touch on the physical aspect, like you might not be strong enough, but you can be smart enough so you can figure it out. Um, There's so many tools out there to help you, you know, lift things or get into certain positions. And typically speaking, you know, women can be a little, normally a little bit shorter. So they fit into different spots as well. (laughs) (laughs) That's you. You get to go into the hard spots. (laughs) Yeah. Well, 
Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> I try to I try to be the supervisor on the site and like point to these guys, like, pick that up, move that over there, bolt that down. You How's know. that go for you? <laughs> Very well. Very well. That's good. <laughs> they try to send me into the tight spots, and I'm the biggest one of the group. I don't know what the deal is. There. <laughs> do not do not get it twisted though. If there's a physical labor job where you are guaranteed to get dirty, Joey's the first one to. <laughs> To volunteer. If there's someone climbing up on a concrete truck, it's going to be Joey. <laughs> I'm like Pigpen. So. You just hang around me and you're going to get dirty. <laughs> That's it. There usually isn't a shortage of brawn on a job site, but there's usually a shortage of intelligence. Yes. And uh, <laughs> and if we can, and if we can get smarter human beings on a job site, that's way more important than getting strong human beings on a job site. But you know, there's never a shortage of creativity. No, Man, people find some <laughs> clever ways to not only do stuff, but also get out of doing stuff. All right. <laughs> they get too creative trying to do things sometimes. Just don't get yeah. it. <laughs> Speaking of which, Laura, what, what do you think is the craziest thing you've ever seen on a job site? This is a question we love to ask people. You have plenty of experience on a job site. Oh, goodness. It's mainly involving ladders, to be honest. <laughs> the way people get up on ladders and the way where people shove ladders, I get concerned. Um, well, you're going to have to elaborate on that, just so you know. <laughs> you, can't just say, you can't just say where people shove ladders and just expect us to just leave that there. I don't know. I've seen ladders like anywhere you can put them. If it, if it fits, it goes. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, you see those memes, it's the cat. If it fits, it sits. That's what I see with the ladder. If it fits, it goes. Like it's up in a ceiling, up on a lift. And I'm like, what are you doing on a ladder up in a lift? Eight feet in the air. And, than getting above the T-bar with the ladder. And it's, oh, sometimes. I'm like, there's better ways. I know there are. Oh, they're there. Um, but I think uh, we heard this quote on the job site we were on last week. And uh, I won't mention who said it, but they said you can either do a job fast, safe, or right. But you can only pick two. <laughs> <laughs> And we we won't condone we won't condone that way of thinking on this podcast. We'll just keep the train rolling of things that I say that we don't condone. Uh, <laughs> but, but that that's pretty funny. And you you see that on the job site like every day. You see it either done right and done safe, and it's not going fast, or you see it done right and fast, and it's not safe, and you know it's going on down the line. So that stuff's on every job site. You pick and choose your battles for sure. One of the battles we have chosen not to fight is the fact that every single episode, Joey says something <laughs> that I we have to put a trouble. disclaimer on. We do not condone <laughs> <laughs> doing things unsafely. At least he's saying it himself. That's it. Yeah, yeah. That's that's just coming from the field right there. Yeah. Well, he knows what will get us in trouble. That's that, you know, That's how he's made it this far. Laura, what are some of the other trends you're seeing in the industry, aside from, you know, the growing percentage of women getting in the industry? What are some of the things you've kind of noticed over the last few years going on in construction? The technology boom. It's insane. Like, mm -hmm. the way I just I just got off a job, actually, where you basically stepped back 10 years because we weren't allowed technology on site. We weren't allowed, you know, you couldn't have your phone. You couldn't have an iPad. You couldn't have anything. And I went back and I came to the job I'm on now, and it's like, night and day now i have an ipad with me i can call people when i'm on site um even just the bim technology and bim scanning that's coming through has been wonderful um and another job i did we went through an entire historic building they weren't really sure what was behind the walls or how anything was built um so we went and before we tore anything out because everything was pretty much irreplaceable in the building it's like don't break it because what do you do um, BIM scanned the entire building so we had a full 3D model of what we were working with and where everything went before we even started demoing anything. That advancement is huge. Yeah, it's awesome to hear you say that because we push technology and technological advances on our show all the time. Is there anything you kind of see on the horizon that you're excited about, technology-based or otherwise? Yeah, I was listening to this one podcast, the other, or not podcast, I guess it was on um, Clubhouse. Uh, but one conversation was about the a layout technology. So it's this little robot that goes around and you start when you just pour the slab and it lays out where all the mechanical goes, where all the electrical goes, where all the walls are. 
Um, so basically, you're walking around and you have your blueprint right below your feet. Oh, it actually prints it out on the slab. Yeah, it like lays everything out for you. That's, that's awesome. pretty incredible. Oh, that's cool. And I was like, wow. that's that's interesting. As long as and you can see it right there, any conflicts, I'd imagine if it works right, and then. No, that's great. It reminds me a little bit. It's like the step before of what uh, Quartz does. Mm -hmm. uh, those guys had an, uh, like a drone that would fly over the job site. Let's say you're doing like a big warehouse slab or, or even a high-rise building. And so for every level before you keep going to the next phase of the project, the drone at the end of the day, at the end of the shift, would run over and scan everything and then upload it to its server. And it knows what the blueprint is supposed to be. And it can scan that real-time object and say, hey, these things are not in the right place. Do not go forward. Or, hey, you're missing this or whatever. Um, so that if you're missing something, uh, you can go in and fix it before you continue on with the rest of the project. That's pretty cool. That's really cool. Better not try and hide anything when you're using that. <laughs> <laughs> not that you'd ever do that, but... <laughs> no, of course not. No, I wondered, though, like, how does it account for, like, miscellaneous stuff? So, like, dude leaves a sledgehammer out in the middle of the slab, and it's like, oh, man. So it sends you a message, like, freaking out. Somebody put a sledgehammer <laughs> in the middle of your slab. It's like, no, just let some tools out. You know, old, old Bubba didn't clean up when he was there, you know? Sorry. Yeah, that's the one thing I wondered about, too, with it. They were talking about it, but what if you have, you know, rebar dowels sticking up, or what if something's in the way? Like, does it know? How does it work? Uh, so I think there's there's definitely some development there, but it's a really cool idea. Look, if a Roomba can make it around the dining room table in my house, I'm sure this thing can make it around rebarring <laughs> columns oh, yeah. or whatever. Technology's there. That kind of reminds me, I remember at the old job we had this, uh, it was just like, it looked like a big, huge frame scaffolding looking thing. And it had, a, it looked like a bicycle wheel in the middle of it. And so it had like four tires on each corner and it had a little bicycle wheel in the middle of it. And you ran this down the uh, the taxiway or runway that we paved. And you would do that for each, you know, paving lane. And I think you would need to do it once or twice for each lane. But anyway, it, looking back, it's kind of archaic the way it operated. So you ran this rig down the lane and this bicycle tire would pick up irregularities in the slab. And so it would just print out almost like a seismograph, uh, if there were any disturbances in that bicycle wheel. So you could be going along, and there could be a pebble. I mean, it almost looked like like uh, the coarsest particle in manufactured sand, you know, may maybe like an eighth of an inch pebble. And it would hit that thing, and there would be a huge spike run up in that, <laughs> that, that piece of paper. So, of course, you know, the engineers would freak out and you got the guy over there like brushing everything off with a broom because if you run over this pebble, it shoots a spike up there. And now looking back, uh, like I said, about how archaic that seems right now, considering we have drones that would just scan that slab and let us know if something was wrong with it and take into account that, yeah, there may be a, a pebble laying on the slab that's not going to make you tear out a panel. It's wild. You're talking about something that was 10 years ago. It's crazy how fast things have uh, yeah. advanced in, in the last decade. It kind of leaves you wondering what's there left to do because you don't know what you don't know mm -hmm. until all of a sudden something new comes out, and it seems like every year there's something new coming out. Um, Joey and I went to World of Concrete this year when they had it in the middle of the summer, and throwing out ballpark figures, a third of all the booth space was technology-based, whether it be drones mm -hmm. or scanning equipment or something like that, at least a third. What do you say, Joey? Do yeah, I think, yeah, a third maybe being generous. And Laura, is there a specific piece of technology that you get to use on site that uh, you really enjoy using? My favorite thing, I haven't got to use it too much yet, but it's actually using the drone for progress billing. And like confirming work that's done, you know, you have a massive site and you're doing excavations in both corners of the site. You can now just fly your drone over and it'll tell you, you know, how much have they excavated today versus yesterday. Where are they at? I think that saves a lot of time. That's pretty incredible. Yeah, your excavator guy can't pencil whip those numbers. <laughs> <laughs> They'll try and tell you you're done. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, the sites we've been on, everybody's been working 15-hour days, I mean, at least. I mean, they're just wearing these boys slap out. Is is it the same way on the sites you're at up there in Ottawa? I mean, people just putting in 
crazy days. It's it's getting there. It depends. Like, there's a bit of a lull right now because our, our COVID is just lifting. Like, our regulations are just coming out now. Um, so we're a little bit behind in that sense, but people are, are get there. Like, I, I needed a laborer this week for an extra guy, and I couldn't get one. Um, I, have, I have one showing up tomorrow, but I need more, and it's just, you know, the hall's empty. I can't call anybody. I have to use labor unions. Like, I have, I have nobody. So wow. now, you know, there's me out there doing things that I shouldn't be doing. Not that I'm doing them, but, <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's, it's working with people to get it done. It's definitely made my job a little bit more creative to find manpower and to find, you know, different ways to do things and to be a little bit more innovative of how I work with the trades that I do have on site. Mm-hmm. Laura, I kind of want to go back to, you know, women in steel toes. And you mentioned you wanted to become a nonprofit, you know, in the future, as a nonprofit, what would you be doing? What would be the goal of the or the mission of the nonprofit? I want to help fund training to get people started in construction. I want to build awareness for women in construction, and I want to build awareness, like marketing towards trades, even and letting people know what actually goes on when you're on site and what you do as a trade. Um, you know, it's still dirty work, but it's not necessarily impossible work. Um, as you mentioned before, Paul, you're talking about, you know, only 50% of the population isn't really accessed. Well, further to that, you're looking at only 13% of men who even think about construction as a career option, and it's less than 1% for women. So just to wow. even get people thinking about it and get it in their heads, um, it's really just about spreading awareness, providing training, and then trying to motivate more women to get into the field and provide, you know, resources for them. You know, what do you, what do you need to get started? Well, that 13%, it kind of caught me off guard. I expected it to be higher, but I don't know if it's because, you know, where I grew up and where I live and the majority of people are looking at, you know, kind of either blue collar or at least blue collar industries, maybe not blue collar jobs, but it, that, that's pretty wild. Just 13% of males are interested in construction. Wow. That's not yeah. good news. Actually, I was in the same boat as you as well, because it's very rural. You know, everybody I know, they're a carpenter, they're a plumber, they're out Mm -hmm. there doing things, they're operating equipment. And then to hear that stat, I was like, I I guess that makes sense. Golly. I I hate to admit it, but I was in that group of 87% of men that were trying to not be in construction. Because my dad was a carpenter, master carpenter, saw how hard he worked. I said, I don't want to work that hard. Like, I don't mind, you know, putting in the hours, but I didn't want to physically crush myself. And that was that was the mindset I had of what construction was, is that you just had to be this ultra-physical, just totally intense on your body, all hours of the day, all weather conditions. And I was like, man, I, I really want to use my brain. Like, that's where, where my way is. So mm-hmm. I thought to use your brain meant not being on the construction site. And, you know, I had to learn that the hard way that that's not what that means. Yeah. And Laura, it sounds like that's the same education you're trying to provide to people, but you're trying to tell them when they're juniors in high school, uh, not when they realize it when they're 27 years old. Yeah. Cause there's a, there's just so, there's so much opportunity and there's so much opportunity for growth and you know, it, they are, they're well-paying jobs and you get out there and it is what you make of it. You work harder. There's lots of opportunities to get very far in this industry. Yeah. Yeah, it was a Paul's the same thing for me, but with farming. Uh, my dad he he offered to hand basically everything over to me and let me farm, but I, in helping him farm and knowing how hard he worked, you know, day and night, uh, especially during you know planting or harvest season or whatever. In my mind, that's what farming was. I didn't know anything else, so I sure as hell didn't want to farm for the rest of my life. I didn't <laughs> think I would live that long, uh, but farming has changed so much now just like construction has there's so much more tech and you got gps on these tractors and stuff you can just set set your border in the field and that tractor or whatever piece of equipment would run that thing for you and uh so it is it's different and then uh i think it was mentioned about you know going to or going to college or doing something else besides having to work with your hands or doing that kind of work uh for a living one thing that I'll never forget that really got up under my skin is we were on a job site. We were at Dover Air Force Base, and I don't remember if it was a supervisor. They didn't work for us. It was for, uh, I don't know if he was from the base or some other third-party 
inspection thing or whatever. But he said uh, he said he went to college so that the only piece of wood he ever had to get a, he ever had to pick up and work with was a pencil, and that crawled all over me, and I had to leave the room. I mean, my face got red. I just left the room. But that's a punchable offense. Oh, that that guy. <laughs> Yeah, that guy's pencil deserves to be shoved into his eardrum. But uh <laughs> we do not condone. I'm leaving, that, I'm leaving that in. <laughs> That'll but be that, an Instagram clip. <laughs> but that kind of attitude is what has kind of led to this, you know, minus fifteen percent of men wanting to get a con- into construction. If you that, if You're you right. have that attitude. You're right. So oh. yeah, the negative con- the negative connotation that was placed on blue collar work for the last two decades, yeah. while mm-hmm. while the secondary four year education was pushed, and now you have an entire population of people fifty to a hundred thousand dollars or more in debt and working jobs that pay just as good as those blue collar jobs do now. Mm-hmm. You wonder how you got here, and that's it. It's the vernacular that was used. We got sold a false bill of goods when we graduated high school and, <laughs> and rent. Well. Thankfully, <laughs> thankfully now we got Laura here. Who's gonna, do. She's going to fix it. Her and a lot of other people, but uh, the work that she's doing is certainly commendable. Uh, and we really appreciate your time to come on the podcast here and talk about it. No, thank you for having me. I'm glad you're, you're helping spread my voice. That's great. Well, uh, that'll do it. Thanks very, thanks very much. And um, we'll keep an eye out. We'll keep an eye out on the podcast and we'll promote some of your episodes. And as you develop that nonprofit, please reach out to us. And if there's anything we can do to help spread the word and spread the message, uh, we will not, not hesitate to do so. Thank you so much. I appreciate that a lot. Yeah. Let us all know where, uh, where we can find women in steel toes. Um, so main platform on, on Instagram is women in steel toes. You can check us out at www.womeninsteeltoes.com. And then we also have a pretty strong Facebook page as well. Um, search Women in Steel Toes on Facebook. And our podcast is available on Apple, Spotify, any main podcasting streams. Excellent. Awesome. awesome. Well, thanks again, Laura. Have yourself a good day. Thank you. You too. That's going to do it for this episode of the Ad 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast. One final thanks to Laura for being on the show. And thank you for listening in. Be sure to hit us up on our social media pages as well. That's Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Search out Ad 10 Pod for all the bonus content that we put out throughout the week. And look up Laura's podcast as well. That is Women in Steel Toes. And give that a listen if you haven't already. Really great thing she's doing over there on her platform. And we're definitely going to keep an eye on all the things she has uh, in the future. In the meantime, tell a friend about us. Look us up wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a like, subscribe, and comment. And come back and join us for the next one. Till then, y'all be good.